Michael Anthony here with a special guest for today's Bible teaching podcast, my friend, Pastor Joe Ercoli. I love his heart, his ability to teach God's word, and the fact that he truly practices what he preaches. Whether you're listening on iTunes, CourageMatters.com, or the Courage Matters app, you're in for a real treat today. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Pastor Joe teaches you from God's Word. So this marks our second message in our new sermon series, as you just saw, Heroes and Underdogs, where we're going through all of Scripture, Old Testament and New, and we're looking at the men and women and even boys and girls who God moved in and through in magnificent, in mighty ways. And here's the good news, is that these men and women and these boys and girls were just like you and they were just like me. They were ordinary people living ordinary lives when all of a sudden they encountered the God of the universe and God did amazing things through them. So if you're here this morning and you know the Lord and you're at a place where, man, I just don't know if the Lord can really use me anymore. I don't know if he can do anything with my life or I'm really not in a mountain to anything. Then you're in good company because these men and women that we're gonna see throughout this whole sermon series felt the same way. But God is good. And what these men and women were marked by can be summarized in an acronym consisting of three letters. Okay, you can write this down. They were marked by B, B, F, B, B, F. And that doesn't mean best, best friend. That means big, bold faith. They were marked by big, bold faith. They were characterized by big, bold faith. And the good news is by the time we're done with our message this morning, you will see that you are also capable of big, bold faith. How many of you want to know what that means and what that looks like and how to have big, bold faith? You with me? That was like a half round of applause. Let's try that again. How many of you want to know? How many of you want to know? How many of you want to know? All right, good, 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 good. Open up your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. And if you are new to the Bible, Genesis is actually the first book of the Bible. First book of the Bible, 15th chapter in. We're gonna read the chapter and then here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through the chapter and we're gonna see, wow, who is God? What was he saying to this character in the story? And then what does that mean for you and for me today? So I wanna encourage you, don't just listen to what's being said, but also watch how we go through the passage. Because when we preach, we don't just simply wanna come up here and, and have you guys rely on what we're saying. We, we don't just wanna feed you the fish, we wanna teach you how to fish, okay? So as we go through this passage, don't just hear what's being said, but watch how we're going through the passage because brothers and sisters, you guys can do this too. You can so do this. You can so go through the Bible and hear what God's saying. Okay, so Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. 
And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my own heir. The word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Or as the Hebrew says, if you have footnotes in your Bible, you see it actually says this, this man shall not be your heir. It says, what will come out of your loins will be your heir. So there's, there's the old way of saying the new way of, hey, you're gonna have your own son, you're gonna have your son. And sometimes I think the, the word loins is just a silly word. It's just funny. So if you think it's funny, you can laugh at that. If not, that's just a lame joke. Just let that go by. Verse five, and he brought him outside. Okay, God brings Abram outside and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he says, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, oh Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, and the termites. <laughs> this is for free. By the way, if, if you're ever reading the Bible and you're in a small group setting or somebody's like, hey, can you read this to me? And you get to a, a word or a name or a place that you don't know, just say it really fast. People will be like, oh, that's how you say it. And you'll be like, yeah, sure, sure. So what's going on in this passage? What's going on? Go back with me to verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse two, but Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me for I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Verse three, Abram said, behold, that you've given me no offspring and a number of my household will be my heir. What's going on? See, if we drop in the middle of this story, we're not gonna understand what's going on. So to get an idea of what's going on, we have to go backwards. So keep your thumb in Genesis 15 and let's go backwards to Genesis 12. We looked at this briefly last week, Genesis 12, starting in verse one. This is gonna lay the ground for where we're at today in chapter 15. Chapter 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. 
As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land and the Lord appeared to him and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And he continued his journey. So flip back with me to chapter 15. Why does this chapter start with God reaffirming the promise? The promise to Abram, 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 Abram. I'm gonna give you offspring. See, that's the promise. So God's reminding Abram of the same promise that he had made to him several years ago. And Abram has been step by step following the Lord as the Lord leads. So the promise is, Abram, I'm gonna give you an offspring. Out of that offspring is gonna come one singular offspring. We know looking backwards on this now, that this was Jesus, the Messiah. I'm gonna give you one offspring, the multitude of people, the nation of Israel. Out of that nation is gonna come one Messiah and I'm gonna give you one land that that nation is going to reside in. Woo, that is a ginormous promise to one man and his family. And so Abram here in chapter 15 says, God, that's great that you've made this promise and I've been following you, but there's a problem. Okay, so there's the promise. What's the problem? Abram is stinking old. That's the problem. He's like really, really old. And that's no disrespect to Abram in his age. Abram is the one pointing out this problem. And he says, here's the problem. God, I believe you. I have been following you. But the problem is this, that I am very old. And biologically, there's this thing called the biological clock. And I'm way past that. And my wife is way past that too. And this whole thing about us getting offspring, I mean, unless you're gonna do something miraculous, short of miraculous, I'm old. (laughs) That's the problem. This ain't gonna happen. You with me? So this is what's happening in this passage. There's the promises reaffirmed and Abram, yeah, he's trusting God, but he also has some concerns and he also has some questions and he also has some doubts. Now, if you're following the Lord this morning, let's do this unashamedly. Let's do this unashamedly. If you're following the Lord this morning, do you ever have any doubts? Anybody want to go two hands? Okay, good. All right. Do you ever have any questions? Do you ever wonder, man, I know what the Lord promises, but I'm just not quite sure how this is going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good news. You're in good company because we're in this together. And Abram, the ancestor of our faith, this great man of faith, he's in the same boat. He says, hey, Lord, I know the promise. I'm following you. I want to, but there's this problem and I'm old and I don't know how you're going to give me offspring. I just don't know how it's going to work out. Now, look with me at verse four. Watch God's provision to the problem. Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This, okay, this is, this is what the Lord says how absurd this is. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in your own house, shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Again, Abram had just pointed out the obvious problem to the promise, which was, 
God, I'm old. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. God says, no, 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 don't, don't sweat it. Don't fret it. Don't fear it. Don't let your flesh get in the way. I've got it. I've got it. Watch what God does. Verse five, he brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse six, and Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. What a bizarre provision to the giant problem that Abram had. What does God do? He reaffirms the promise and then he says, Abram, come here, come with me. Let's come outside and I want you to take a look at the stars. So friends, let's read with our imaginations, put yourself in Abram's shoes. What would he have felt? In his sandals, thank you, yes, in his sandals. What would he have felt? What would it have been like to look up at those stars? You see, Abram had a problem and the problem was that the problem was too big. What happens, friends, is when you and I aren't gripped by the greatness of God, our problems are magnified and what's many becomes mighty. But what you and I need is we need to look at the almighty so that our problems become many. Because what you and I magnify matters. Okay, now, I heard people trying to count the stars because that's exactly what God told Abram to do, count those stars. So some fun facts about stars. Why, why did God provide this way for Abram? Come out and look at the stars. So the human eye can only see 2,000 to 2,500 stars at any given time in the night sky. And Abram existed before smog and before light pollution. So he probably had a pretty good view. Now, the eye can only see 2,000 to 2,500 stars. Scientists estimate that there are, and I didn't even know that this was a number, that there are three sextillion stars. Now, to put that in perspective, that is the number three, followed by 23 zeros. For every one grain of sand, there are approximately 10,000 stars in the universe. What's the largest star in our solar system? It's the sun. Did you know that you could fit 1.3 million Earths into the sun? And the brightest star in the night sky is Sirius. To put it into perspective, Sirius is so big that you could fit 9.3 billion suns into Sirius. Are you feeling small yet? Keep the lights down because this is so impactful. We, friends, listen to this. This is in Job chapter 38 and I know it's dark. So just listen, just take this in as you're looking at the stars and gaining perspective because what the Lord is doing in this passage with Abram is he is helping Abram get a providential perspective on his problems. The Lord says this in Job 38, speaking to Job, he says, where were you, Job? when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding, who determined its measurements or stretched a line on it? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? 
And he continues in this passage and he takes Job on this cosmic journey and he gets to the stars. He names constellations. He says, Job, can you bind Pallades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season or guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? And God takes Job through this cosmic venture and journey. And Job's question was, God, I have all these problems. Why do I have all these problems? Sadly, the Lord never actually answers Job's question. He just gives him a cosmic tour of everything that he's created. And this is Job's response in chapter 40. Job answered the Lord and said this, behold, I am of small account. How can I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I won't answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Friends, as you look at the stars, just like God called Abram to do in this passage, what problems seem utterly insurmountable in your life right now? Physical problems, relational problems, wayward children, vocational problems, financial problems, the Lord's inviting you and me to get outside and be gripped by his greatness so that our many problems don't become mighty, but they, as we gaze at the almighty, become many. Let's bring the lights back up. Friends, this is so key. This is so key. What you magnify matters. What you magnify matters. Your faith flows from where your gaze is fixed. So the Lord brought him outside. How do we get outside? Just practically for us today, how, how do we get outside? Number one, jot this down. Number one, get outside. I mean, how do we get outside? Get outside. We live in a day and age where we spend so much time inside. And what that does is that makes everything just smaller actually seem so much greater and so much bigger. I had a friend of mine in high school who he doesn't yet know the Lord, but we would go out and we both just loved telescopes and looking at the planets and the stars. And I just remember thinking, oh my word, this just puts everything into so much perspective. Doesn't it? It just puts everything in the proper perspective. So to gain providential perspective, number one, get outside. Number two, Abram didn't have this. He didn't have a smartphone. This was 4,000 years ago. We're looking at this passage. He didn't have a smartphone, but number two, silence your smartphone. Or better yet, another alliteration, shut down your smartphone. That's even better. This is not to poo-poo smartphones. I am a millennial and therefore I could not live life without my smartphone. And you can laugh at that, but that is sadly true. I don't know how I would live life without my smartphone. But here's the problem in the social media saturated generation that, that I live in, that we live in in our culture, is this, is that what happens with social media is it inflates the individual and deletes the divine. It inflates the individual and deletes the divine. And before you know it, we're spending hours, literally hours pining over, did anybody reply? Did anybody comment? Did anybody like? Did anybody share? What are people thinking about my awesome highlights that I'm presenting? And then we're simultaneously getting depressed because we're looking at everybody else's social media accounts and going, oh, they have it all together. Boy, they look like they're having fun. Ooh, man, seems like God's really working in their lives. Bro, this ain't about you and this ain't about me. It's about him. 
get outside, shut down your smartphone. Here's what that will help you to do. Number three, jot this down. It will help you to listen to your Lord. Listen to your Lord. We live in a day and age, there is so much crying and yelling and screaming for our attention. Oh, read me. Oh, look at me. Oh, watch me. And with our phones, it's a, it's a problem. It is such a problem that it's actually in the new DSM, the Diagnostic Manual for Psychologists and Psychiatrists, Technology Addiction. It's a real thing. And we are so prone to, if this is my phone, scroll, 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 entertain myself to death. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And what happens is, Smaller, 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 smaller. My world caves in on myself because it's all about me and me, myself, and I, and my problems and my preferences and everything that I want that we lose perspective. And it totally distracts us. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, if you haven't read it, it's a great read. It's not straight from scripture, but man, it is like really super insightful. It's this, this setting where there's a, there's a demon and he has a, a mentee. So this mentor training his mentee and he tells him this, he, he says, I want you to harass your subject. So the subject is a believer. He says, I know that you can't take his salvation, but here's what you can do is you can distract him from all the things that God wants for him. So Lewis wrote this back in the 40s and he said this, the older demon telling the younger demon, here's what you do. Noise, 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 noise. Distract, distract, distract. And friends, I'm yelling, not because I'm upset with any of you, because I am preaching to me right now. I'm preaching to me. Noise, 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 noise. We can't even hear God. All throughout the day, friends, God invites us. All throughout the day, he invites us. Listen, enter, obey, follow. And most of the time, if I confess, I don't hear because I'm so preoccupied with the things that I think, and I'm a pastor, the things that I think the Lord wants me to be focusing on. Good things ministry things. And Lord says, you're missing it. You're so without peace and you're so down and you're so anxious because you're missing me. Jesus said, apart from him, we can do how much? Zilch, nothing without him. So that's not to make any of you feel guilty. It's to encourage you and empower you. Take God up on those little invitations throughout the day. Spend time listening to him. And here's the key. Don't just hear God, listen to God. Don't just hear him, listen to him. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about when I'm gonna talk about the difference between hearing and listening. You know what I'm talking about because I'm guilty of this all the time. My wonderful, amazing wife, she's so patient with me and she says, hey, can you help me with, insert whatever the help needs to be. I say, sure. And then the next day she says, hey, can you help me with, sure. Well, what's happened? Well, my brain is elsewhere. I am preoccupied with me and whatever it is that I feel like the Lord wants me to be doing. I'm missing out on first ministry, which is to my wife. 
So what I just did is I heard there were waves that entered into my ears and came in, but I didn't listen because listening is when you do something with what you hear. If you have children, or if you don't have children and you've observed children, and this isn't just children, for heaven's sakes, this is all of us. We're all guilty of this. How many times do you see a child where a parent says, hey, listen to me, do as I say, not as I do. What do they end up doing? (laughs) They do as you do and not as you say. They're not listening, they're simply hearing. Now, did Abram merely hear God or did he listen to him? Let's go back, Genesis 15, look at verse six. Okay, so Abram's response to this amazing provision of merely looking at the stars, something amazing happened in that moment. Verse six, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Whoa, 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 hold up a second, what happened? Because see, we can read so fast, we just miss what happened. My wife and I were talking about this this past week. She said, you know, when I get into scripture, the authors sometimes just say these little things in passing and then just move right along. But if we don't stop and camp and pitch a tent and hang out there, we miss it. So what happened? What was Abram's response to God's provision? He did what? Help me out. What does it say? He did what? He believed. Turn to your neighbor and say, Abram believed. Abram believed. And what happened? God did what? He counted it or he credited it to Abram as what? Righteousness. 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 That means to have right standing with God. Now, we cannot miss this. We absolutely cannot miss this in this passage. What was Abram's response to God's provision? He did what? You already said it. What did he do? He believed. Did he do anything of action? Did he do anything of action? No. What did he do? He, all right, he believed. He exercised faith. Jot this down. Faith is confident trust in God and his promises. Faith is confident trust in God and his promises. We have to camp out here. Every world religion is about man working his way to get to maybe, if he's fortunate, to get to God. Christianity is all about God condescending and coming and making his way to man. And he says, all I ask is that you grab my hand. That's it, that's trust. And all the rest of the Bible, this is so how wonderfully simple this is. All the rest of the Bible is God looking for men and women who will simply grab his hand. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. Because there are some of us here today who don't yet know Jesus. And we are trying and we are struggling and we are striving. And there are some of us here who know Jesus and we are striving and we are struggling. And we forget, (laughs) we forget the football moment, Vince Lombardi, this is a football. Our faith is about faith. (laughs) Our faith is about faith. If that 
connects with you, write that down. That seems really simple, but I, I think that that's actually pretty impactful. Our faith is about faith. And what is faith? It's trusting in the Lord. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. Verse six, without it, without faith, it's impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. How does the culture at large, and dare I say even sometimes pop Christianity, how do we sometimes define faith? Here's how we sometimes define faith. You ready for this? Here's what we do. Faith is this. I'm gonna trust that maybe it might work out and I'm gonna hold and just gamble and roll the dice and just hope against hope, shot in the dark. It is not intellectual. It is not rational. There's no reason to, to have faith, but you know what? Those Christians, they're just stupid people because faith is blind. Is that what biblical faith is? Now, I don't want to set up a straw man and then light it on fire and watch it burn and go, ha, ha, ha. And by that, what I mean is, is that really what the culture says about faith? I think that it is because those are the types of conversations that I have with people. And you know what? I was one of them. I used to think that about faith. I did. What convinced me? God, the truth found in his word, the fact that the testimony of Jesus is built on the testimony of the early apostles and disciples and early church. And historically, it makes sense. Faith is not blind. It's blind to those who don't have the eyes of faith. Right? We might describe faith like this. Pop culture might say, you know what faith is? It is a what of faith. It is a, what is that? A leap of faith. Is that what Hebrews tells us? You know what faith is, friends? Faith is the confident assurance that who God has revealed himself to be through his word, all of those promises have their yes and amen in Jesus. They're all true. It's not blind. It's not stupid. It's not anti-intellectual. It's not non-rational. It's the smartest thing that you can do. It's the smartest thing that Abram could have done in that moment is trust God. Why? Because who's God? Who's God? Yeah, he made it all. He holds it all together. By him, to him, for him, through him, all things exist. And what happens is we're down here with our little problems and I don't wanna minimize them because some of us have some serious problems. I mean, we do like, even if it's not, we're not the cause of them, they're happening to us. Could be a, a, an unfortunate diagnosis. It could be financial difficulties. It could be any number of things that we didn't necessarily cause ourselves. I don't want to minimize those problems, but what we need to do is get that providential perspective and understand what faith is and how to exercise faith. And I really hope that my faith is bigger than my bicep, or else I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. And you can laugh at that as I laugh at me. That's what faith is. You know what faith does? Faith is not a leap of faith. You know what it does? It causes our faith to take leaps. It's not a leap of faith. It is a faith of leap. Write that down. It is a faith of leap. 
That's what it is. You know what? I have an eight-month-old son, and I'll tell you what, he is a delight. I have an eight-month-old son. There's gonna come a day where Silas is gonna want to, maybe, I, didn't, I never wanted to, I was terrified, maybe need to learn how to swim. And there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna be down there in the water and I'm gonna be like this. Come on, son, come on. Just, just take that leap, take that leap, come on in. And if my son is like me, he's gonna be literally up there hugging the diving board going, oh God, please help me. Oh, I don't wanna do it. You know how many tears I've shed in my life over swimming? I, have, I could probably fill multiple pools. So I hope that that's not him, but it might be. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I wanna be like this in the water. Hopefully he's not hugging the diving board. Hopefully he's like, I got a problem. That problem is I can't swim, but who's in the water? Who's in the water? Help me out. Who's in the water? Dad's in the water. Now watch this. Who was God to Abram? Who initiated the relationship? Was it Abram or was it God? It was God. God is the prompter of the relationship. He is the provider in the relationship. He is the protector in the relationship. He said that back in verse one. He's the prompter, he's the provider, he's the protector, he's the promise maker. And guess what else he does? He's the promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. Predicated, faith, write this down. Faith is predicated upon a relationship. Faith is built upon, predicated upon, you, you put that in your words, it's predicated upon a relationship. With who? With God. Who initiates that relationship? Thank God it's him. What's the byproduct of faith? What's the byproduct of trust? What's the byproduct of listening? Is what? What is it? Leap. The trust leads to the leap. It has the faith of leap. You with me? You with me? Yes. All right. Now, as we're out on that diving board, what causes us to stop? What caused Abram to stop? Abram, I want you to jump. What caused Abram to stop? Doubt. What caused Abram to stop? Questions. What caused him to stop? Concerns. What caused him to stop? Fear. What caused him to stop? His flesh. Faith is greater than all those things because it's not blind, because faith is calculated. It's trusting in God and taking him at his word and responding accordingly. Now, watch this. Abram wasn't these three things. As he's out on that diving board and God says, I want you to dive in. All I want you to do by diving in, here's how you dive in, Abram. Simply believe me. Take me at my word. That's it. That's the leap. Here's what Abram didn't do. Number one, he wasn't perfect. He didn't stand on that board and go, well, you know what, Lord? I just don't have myself cleaned up. I don't have all my stuff straight. I don't have it all together. I really think I gotta pull myself up by my bootstraps, get myself polished off, cleaned up, and then maybe you can use me. Anybody struggle with that? Oh, come on now, you are in church. Anybody else struggle with that? Okay, good. 
He wasn't perfect. Number two, he wasn't prideful. You know what else we do? We stand on that diving board. Abram, Abram didn't do this. We stand on that diving board and we go, oh, some of us go like this. This is overt pride. This is how we usually mean it in pop culture when we say pride. Oh, you know what, Lord? I don't need, cares my, past my biological clock. I'm a man's man. Lord, come on. You know I can't handle this. I'm gonna make my own child. I don't need your help. I'm gonna take my own land. I don't need your help. I'm gonna make my own nation. I don't need your help. But you know the, the subtle side of pride that Abram also didn't do is we sit on that diving board and we go, oh Lord, I can't. Because I can't. And you know, I just don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. I don't have enough experience being a Christian. I don't know enough Bible. Lord, I can't do any of these things. Friends, if that is you, come on, you are in church, raise your hands, because this is me. Here's what we need to do. We need to let the truth of God's word trump our feelings. Truth needs to be the engine of the train. Feelings need to be the caboose. Feelings are not bad. We're made in God's image. God has feelings. How do I know that? Just read the Bible. But the truth has to trump the, the feelings. So, so many of us, we don't, we don't take that step because we're so focused on ourselves. We sit there, we navel gaze, and then that leads us to the Eeyore mentality. Oh, woe is me, I can't do it. News flash, this is freeing, news flash. No, you can't, but he can, Amen. he can. Abram exercised that kind of faith. Number three, Abram was not plastic. Abram wasn't plastic. You know what I'm talking about, these plastic people, they come on in, ah, yes, the Lord says to me that I must do all of these things, but I am 20 steps ahead of him. I have it all figured out, and I, of course, have no problems, because I am in the Lord. Was he plastic? No, he wasn't plastic. How do we know he wasn't plastic? He's sitting there telling God, God, here's my concerns. God, here's my doubts. I have serious doubts. I have serious concerns, but I trust you. How do we know? How do we know that he wasn't plastic? Well, let's go back to Genesis 15. What did he do? Write this down. Abram exercised the principle of confirmation. He exercised the principle of confirmation. Verse one, verse four, verse five, God tells Abram, I'm giving you an offspring. What did Abram do? He pointed out the problem. He wasn't plastic. He was a real life, living, breathing human being, just like you and just like me. He wasn't plastic. So he, in his doubts and in his concerns and in his questions, he still has trust in God. He's just saying, God, in this relationship, I trust you, but man, this doesn't look like it's gonna work out in my favor. So he does what? Exercises the principle of confirmation. He asks God, hey, can you confirm this? So, so he brings him outside. There's the provision. Look at the stars. Abram believes. And then verse seven picks it right back up. Look at me in verse seven. The Lord said to Abram, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So now we're in part two of this promise. And Abram does what? I need some confirmation. How am I to know that I shall possess it? What's God do? Well, the rest of these verses, we all need some help. The rest of these verses are kind of strange. He has Abram gather up these animals, cut them down the center, lay them out side by side. Abram falls asleep. And then there's a 
smoking fire pot and flaming torch that passed between the pieces. And then all of a sudden we pick it up at the very end Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, and all this land's gonna be given to you. And we're like, hold on, what just happened? (laughs) This is bloody, this is messy. This is 2018 and I am an American. This offends me, (laughs) what's going on in this passage? I like animals, this offends me. What's going on here? This is bloody, this is gruesome. Well, hold on, now hold on, this is, Bible reading 101, you and I aren't gonna get on a plane, drop ourselves in a whole nother country, get there and get upset at the people when they don't speak our language, right? I mean, that would just be so silly. Can you imagine that? Let's say we all fly over to another country, we get there, we're like, where's the McDonald's? Where's the Starbucks? How come you don't speak American? (laughs) How come you don't? That would just be silly. But sometimes, and this happens to me, okay, and I'm a pastor, sometimes that's what happens is we back read our 2018 American mindset into the Bible. So what we have to do, we just recognize we come to the Bible with glasses. It's okay that you have those glasses. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's what we attempt to do. Take off our glasses, pick up our ancient Near Eastern 4,000 years ago glasses, and we go, okay, what's going on here? And this is where a study Bible really helps. It's gonna help you understand the history. So invest in yourself Get yourself a study Bible if you financially cannot do so. Come see me, okay? Invest in yourself, get a study Bible. Now, I'm gonna explain very briefly what's going on in this passage. So tech team, if we can bring up that slide and we're gonna walk through this slide. Okay, you're like, what is that? Is that that a set of glasses? We were talking about glasses, is this glasses? No, here's what happened, okay? Abram, God said to Abram, take a heifer, a goat, and a ram and cut them down the center. Okay, so these three different shades of red represent three different animals. So let's just say the ram's at the top, one half of the ram's on the right, one half of the ram's on the left. Okay, say amen if you're with me. Okay, all right, that makes sense. All right, now, what happens is Abram falls asleep and then it says that a smoking fire pot represented by the gray box, because it's smoke, smoke is gray. I don't know, it's where we land on these colors. Smoking fire pot, flaming torch represented by the orange, passes between the two pieces. Now, notice how they pass between the two pieces. What, what number does that look like? If we turn this whole slide vertically, what, what number? Okay, number eight. If we turn it back down, and ooh, you guys are with me and you are good. Infinity, the infinity sign, infinity symbol in math. I don't like math, but I still know the infinity symbol. It means to infinity and beyond, (laughs) to infinity and beyond. It means this is lasting forever. So here's what would happen, okay? Here's what would happen. Let's say, this would never happen, but let's just say I'm a king of a nation and Bernie, you are a king of another nation. I'm not gonna make you come up, don't worry, you're fine. Bernie's a king of another nation and Bernie's nation needed, they needed, hey, you guys are all in my nation. Bernie's nation needed our help. They needed our help because we're, we're awesome. So they come to us and Bernie says, hey, Joe, we really need some help. We're really, we had a lot of enemies surrounding us. We know that your army is great. We've always had a great relationship. How much can I pay you on a, maybe a monthly basis to protect us? And we've reached a number. And then what we do is Bernie's on the right and I'm on the left because orange is my favorite color. I'm on the left 
And what we do is we cut these animals in half. We lay them side by side. We exchange possessions. He gets, I, I give him my weapons of warfare. He gives me his. We exchange robes. We exchange maybe rings. If we have rings, this is gonna sound familiar, isn't it? This sounds like a marriage covenant. We exchange in rings, giving each other rings. And then what we do is we pass between those pieces of dead animals. This is bloody, this is gory, this is gross. Why would we do that? Here's what we're saying in effect. Bernie, I'm saying to you this, and you're saying to me this, over our dead bodies, will this promise that we just agreed to not come true? Woo. Now, watch this. Who is the representatives on either side of this covenant that God cuts with Abram? Yeah, it's not a trick question, God. Where's Abram during this whole thing? What's he doing? What's he doing? Oh, gosh, that's some Z's. I'm resting. I'm resting in the Lord. And the Lord is cutting that covenant. Here's why that matters. God is saying over my dead body, will I not keep this promise? And what did Abram have to do? Believe, believe, believe. And you know what happened out of this promise? Do you know what happened? The nation of Israel. Who came out of the nation of Israel? Say it. Jesus, turn to your neighbor, say, Jesus. Jesus, we're almost done. You gotta stay with me, Jesus. And you and I are the beneficiaries of a promise made 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. And we get the benefits of that. By what do we get the benefits of that? By faith. Just as Abram exercised faith, so we exercise faith. Jesus says, take my hand, I've done it all. You cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn my favor because I've earned it for you. Poo, take my hand, trust me. So don't miss this. The ripple effect, we'll call this the exponential effect of faith. It is immeasurable. Do you know why? Abram took a baby step of faith. We talking about big, bold faith? You know what that is? That's mustard seed faith. Jesus said that's mustard seed faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that mountain will move. Not because you said so, but because he said so. So big, bold faith is really actually small faith because the faith doesn't rest in you, it rests in him. So he exercised the principle of confirmation. He trusted in the Lord. He understood what faith was, but now the ripple effect of it is you and I are actually the result of the faith that Abraham exercised 4,000 years ago. You, friends, you have no idea. When you exercise faith, it can touch, we're talking multi-generations. People you will never meet could be affected. Well, how can you say that? Because it's the domino effect. You have an influence on one person who has an influence on one person who has an influence on one person who has an influence on, help me out. One person, thank you. Whew, multi-generational. You can't underestimate that. And we'll wrap it up with this. What else does this passage show us? Write this down. Faith is forged by following the black and white teachings of scripture. Faith is forged by following the black and white teachings of scripture. So wherever you're at in your life, you'd be like, I have a big decision to make. I don't know what to do. How do I know if it's God? Exercise the principle of confirmation. Do that with scripture. Does this contradict scripture? 
No. Do it in community. Have people who are walking with the Lord pray for you. All right. If you come to me or anybody on staff, you come to me and you say, God wants me to do, and you insert the whatever he wants you to do. And it is overtly wrong in here. It contradicts what God said. That's not God. So how do we exercise faith? So you catch this. The Holy Spirit inspired the words of scripture. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and me. He's not gonna tell you to do something that contradicts what he already inspired in this word. So we exercise and build our faith in following God in the black and white of scripture. How do we do that? We did what Abram did day by day, baby step by baby step, just like my son is starting to do, pulling himself up on the couch and, it, and then he falls and then he cries and then he gets back up and he does it again. It's on repeat. Same thing with us. Baby step by baby step, by baby step by baby step. And how do we do that? We get into the word and we understand what God's saying to us. So maybe there's some of us in here today, God has been impressing upon you. Hey, I'm calling you to be generous with your finances. I know that you look at the numbers and you think, I don't know how I'm gonna make that work. Exercise faith. God might be saying to some of us today, hey, you know what? That relationship, mm-mm, mm-mm, not honoring to me. Yeah, but you know, it's financially helpful and it's, the, the living situation is great. Mm-mm, exercise faith, following the black and white, just like Abram did, baby step by baby step. And we're in this together. It's not just you and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. And guess what? You can do this just like Abram did because Abram wasn't plastic, Abram wasn't perfect, Abram wasn't prideful. You can do this. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this podcast through the app and website as well.